Amen. How many fathers do we have in the room? Raise your hand if you're a father. You're going to relate to this in a way that not everyone can. It says, like as a father pitieth his children. I'm going to let you go ahead and be seated. I've got a little bit of reading I want to do here. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now, I love the Bible. I love King James Version, but that version is a little bit unclear as to what it means because when we say the father pities the child, um, to me, that means, uh, oh, you just feel bad for him all the time and and, uh, doesn't really convey the sense of what the Lord is really saying here. Let me read this to you. The, The New Living Translation, it says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Another translation says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. Compassion is a a term that we might be able to relate to a little bit more clearly, especially as we think about our our roles as fathers, those of us that have children. There is a, um, a special place in the heart of a father for that father's child or for the multiple children that that father might have. And there, I, I feel certain ways about my children that I just simply don't feel about anybody else in this world. It's because of who they are to me, their relationship to me, the, the, the uh, connection, the closeness that I have with them and it causes me to have a sense of compassion on them. Now, my oldest child is 12 years old. And all the parents of teenagers, you can roll your eyes right now. Because I haven't got there yet. I know. I, I, I'm thankful that I haven't gotten there yet. I am in no rush to get to that phase of parenthood. And those of you with children that are even older than teenagers, you've gotten to see what this cycle is like. And really, just be thankful, regardless of what you had to put up with in the teens and the adulthood and the childhood, whatever, just be thankful that you get to relate to the father a little bit more each time your child goes through something. The difference is, I feel like the Lord showed me this as I was studying this scripture. The the difference is in our world we we hope that our children at some point can grow up and get to the point where they no longer need us right to to raise what they would call a healthy member of society if you're a healthy member of society you don't have to always depend on your mom or on your dad for everything but then you start to make a way for yourself and start to contribute to society on your own, maybe even start to form and raise a family of your own. And that cycle is something that we, that we want to see as we raise our children. But with the Lord, it's not such. He never intends for you or for me to get to a place where we no longer need Him, no long, where, where we graduate beyond all right, well, I, 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 I'm not a kid anymore. I don't have to have my father's help anymore. And I think that simple difference is something that, if we're not careful, can get into our relationship with God, and we start to wonder, even just in the back of our minds, how come I haven't grown up? How come I haven't progressed beyond this place that I'm at right now. I mean, I feel like I need, I'm, I'm, what am I, 34 years old. I feel like I need the Lord more at 34 than I needed him at 30. And I needed him more than I did at 25. And when I was 16 and 17, I, I, I didn't even think I really needed the Lord. But now it's like as time progresses, I see more and more of how I need him, how I can't 
go on and, and move on from my need for him. So knowing that and establishing that fact, I get to just look at this verse and say, thank the Lord that he, that he still has compassion on me as a father. My, my 12-year-old and my 10-year-old, I've had them enough time to kind of get to know them. And, and, and really, <laughs> uh, I, the other day I was, I was with someone and I said, as soon as I get home, here's what my kids are going to ask me. Because I knew it. And I'm telling you, I ha- barely had one foot in the door. And they asked that question. I just knew because I had, I, 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 this is how it is, especially on this day of the week. Here's the thing that they're thinking about. Here's the question that they're asking and what they're expecting. So I've gotten a little bit of time and history established with them enough to where it's almost scary. I can read their minds in a way and know it's Saturday morning. They're going to want this. They don't, they've, they've, they've learned enough not to expect that on Tuesday morning or on a Friday morning, but, but they, they get into the routine. It's the same with me and my heavenly father. He knows me enough to know, oh, there's Caleb and there's that mud puddle right in front of him. He's probably going to step in it. He, I've seen this play out before. Or, oh, she's going down to pray again. I have a feeling I know what it is she's going to be praying about, what she's going to ask about. Because the Lord, we, were, we established this relationship with him to such a degree. And then the Lord gets to have compassion on us. It's a, it's a lot easier to have compassion on a, like a, a one-year-old, 10-month-old. Let them get a couple of years older and let them start learning a few words that you didn't want them to learn. And let them start using those words appropriately in sentences. And it's like, hang on. My, my compassion level has gone down a notch because you know you shouldn't be saying that, but you still are. Then let them grow up a little bit more and form their own attitude and independence. And then we start to say this thing, I told you so. I, don't do that. Oh, they did it. And, and it kind of, and a human, if I can be honest with you, it chips away at my compassion level. I still love them and I still have compassion for them. But I, I, I'm thinking to myself, when are you going to stop asking, needing, doing the things that I feel like you shouldn't have to do anymore? This is, I hope this is not too transparent. This is, I'm not teaching a parenting class today and that's probably a good thing. But because I get to show compassion to my children and I relate to that, whatever in whatever way and degree, to whichever degree I relate to them, my Heavenly Father is exponentially more so, more compassionate to me. I, I just get to learn the tip of the iceberg of what it means to be compassionate. And now I get to be thankful for that because I am His child. You are his child. And when he looks into your life, when he looks into your day, and he knows, oh, they struggle with this. That's a hardship for them. But that's okay, they're my child. And I do have compassion on them. The next verse I like the way this next verse put it. Verse, verse 14. It says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. New Living says, He knows how weak we are, he remembers we are only dust. This, this relationship that I explained between myself and my children, 
It goes back to how I, uh, I remember when they were just newborn. They were just infants. And I was there at that point of their life. And I've got to see them go from day one to day however many thousand days this is. The Lord remembers us. He, knows, he, he can look at your life and remember there is a time when you were dust. There, there was nothing more to you than just dust. That's, that's what we say we came from. We're, we're humans. We came from dust because he created us. So he is my father and he knows. I remember when you were nothing at all. And I've gotten to watch you progress from nothing at all to whatever it is you think you are right now. Brother Kyle used this analogy at anger management last time. I like it. He said, I started here and I've come here. I still got all this to go. Now, I th wherever it is on that spectrum, I think I am. My heavenly father looks at me and says, oh, that's fine. I'll let you think that. But I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you started from, what you started as. And I know what that future looks like. I know how to get you where I want you to be in that future. Now, the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man. So when I look at what I, I would roll out as the future of my life, and say, here's where I want to be in five years, in 10 years, in 15, by the time I'm 45, by the time I'm 55, by the time I'm retirement age, hallelujah. Here's what I want my life to look like. And if you start there and then you just work your way back in, in, in steps, I almost said baby steps. If you work your way back in steps, and you think, this is the way to get where I want to be at point B. Now, your father can look at that and say, oh, that's a nice plan. I'm glad you thought this out. It shows that you have uh, enough of a, of a brain to, to do the things that I need you to do. You're not incompetent. But that's your plan. That's your way. First of all, he's not even going to tell me if I'm going to make it to retirement age. Sorry, he just doesn't do that. So if my whole plan is based on my life at age 67, 70, 65, 58 for the lucky ones, if my whole life is based on that, and the, the ways that I'm trying to manage my life today based on some future possibility that I don't even know is a guarantee, then the father can say, oh, my little child. It's so cute when you think you know what's going to happen. And then he can remember we're just dust. And, and he can show this compassion on us. I want to look at, at a couple of people in the scripture here just quickly. Where the Lord in his compassion would intervene in their life and change what they think is their way or the, the way that they should be going. Remember the prophet Eli. Eli could use some parenting classes. <laughs> if you don't know, he had two sons. He was the priest. And he had two sons that he raised in and around the tabernacle. And those boys, well, if you had a daughter, you wouldn't let your daughter marry one of those boys. 
That's probably the kindest way I could think to put it. So Eli is raising these boys, and they are just completely desecrating everything that's holy and sacred, what's supposed to be in the mind of the, the priest and the people of God. And Eli has to go through this situation where this boy Samuel's brought to the temple. And Samuel had a calling of God on his life. He's a prophet of God from a young age as a child. Uh, okay. I'm going to mention a word here, and hopefully we won't have to dwell on it too long. The word is contrast. Think about the contrast between Samuel and Eli's boys, Hophni and Phinehas. Just think about the contrast for a minute. Samuel is, is much younger than these other boys, okay? But he was born and raised in a situation where his mother said, your life is dedicated to God. I made the Lord a promise before you were even born that your life is dedicated to God. Now you got these other two boys. Their dad is the high priest. If there was ever a child that was born that you would think their life is dedicated to God, you would think it's the child of the priest, right? But instead, their life is just going completely south. They don't think about anything holy. It's all profane. And you got the contrast of Samuel, who even without knowing it, can pick up on the things that are holy, the things that are of God. And so the Lord speaks all this. What I'm pointing out to you today is how the Lord's intervening to Eli. So he sets this up. He speaks to the child and he says, I have a message I want you to deliver to Eli. And the boy you know, it's probably a good thing the Lord started with a child there. Because if he had told an adult, a peer of Eli's, I don't know how easy it would be to share that. Because what Samuel had to go and tell Eli was, well, here's what the Lord told me. He told me, because of how you've let your boys run unchecked, and how you've let them desecrate what's supposed to be holy, the Lord is going to take their lives. If that's not a wake-up call, I don't know what would be. So the Lord orchestrates all that so that Samuel could give Eli that word from God. Not every story has a happy ending. Thank the Lord most of them do, or at least all of them can. But Eli's, if you know the way that story plays out, it's not good. Let me tell you another one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, read this one to you. Luke chapter 10. We picked on the boys enough. Let's talk about the girls for a minute. <laughs> All the men said amen. Martha, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I wanted you to just look at this passage really quickly here. Luke 10 and 38. It came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha. Everyone say Martha. Martha received him into her house. And she said, now verse uh, 39, she had a sister called Mary. Everyone say Mary. Which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Next verse. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? I'm doing all the work. 
the scripture says cumbered about with much serving. That means she, all she could think about was, I got to do this, and then I got to do this, and I got to do this. I got to make sure this is right. I got to make sure that's right. I got to set this up. And that's a glimpse into her mind. And her mindset. I don't know about you. I want to give her a pass because she had Jesus Christ come into her house and his disciples. If, nothing, if that doesn't put a little pressure on a hostess, I don't know what would. But so she's sitting there saying, if you would just make my sister do some of the work too. She's not even complaining about how much work she has to do. She's complaining about the fact that her sister is not doing anything to help. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Just tell her to get in the kitchen and clean with me and cook with me. Tell her to vacuum. I don't care what. Just give her a job to do. It's not fair. That's the, that's the mindset of Martha. Just thinking about the work that she has to do. And thinking about those who do not have to do this, the same including her sister. Hear me, when the Lord tells you something, your first response should not be to look around and compare. How come he doesn't have to? How come she doesn't? Why wouldn't you put them through this, but you would put me through this? Next verse. So what did Jesus do? Say, Mary, get up there and help your sister. Nope. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Now, I believe that Jesus is not just talking about the fact that she wanted to have a clean house and and serve as a good hostess in that moment. He's the the all-knowing one. And so when he says, Martha... You got too much troubling you. He's not just talking about the dishes. He's not just talking about the carpet being clean. Let's take a step back, Martha, and look at what's troubling you. Look in in, in your mind, in your heart, and in your motive behind what's driving you to, to take such such measures. Next verse. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. That's the Lord intervening on, uh, in Martha's life. That's a father I know it's the man, Christ Jesus, but the deity inside the man is looking at his child, Martha, with compassion. I don't want you to carry all of this. I don't want the weight of that, all the trouble, all the worry. I don't want that on you, Martha. It's not easy to be told to look at somebody else's life and do what, they, do what they're doing right. I mean, there, there, there has to be a certain level of humility. I didn't say humiliation. I said humility. You have to make yourself humble. If the Lord is going to use someone else as a lesson to you, because in our humanity, we just want to point out the things that they're doing wrong. My brother never even has to go to work. My sister doesn't even keep a clean house. Uh, I'm not picking on you. But if this is our mindset, and the Lord says... 
you know what? They got something right that I'm trying to work on in you a little bit. Oh, that's hard to hear. That's hard to look at and see how is this other human doing something right when I can see what they're doing wrong. But the Lord in his compassion and in his relationship with, with us will deal with us about those things. The, 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 the key is how do we respond to it? One more, one more passage here, or one more story. Uh, we, we don't know what the outcome of Martha's situation was. We know that she got a, a, a good little uh, talking to by the Lord there. <laughs> now, think about King Saul for just a minute. We mentioned that the, the, the story of Eli and how Samuel, the prophet, was interjected at that story at a young age. King Saul, he also had an encounter with God who through the prophet Samuel had this intervening moment. Because King Saul, he's put in charge of Israel, all of Israel. He's given instruction, specific instruction from God, go and kill this enemy and destroy everything. That's a pretty simple instruction, right? Destroy everything. I mean, even the Hulk can't follow that instruction. Just smash it all. Destroy it. But King Saul, rather than following that instruction, he gets his mind in the way and starts to think about, but maybe if I just preserved this, the people love a good offering, this is a good offering. And Saul, Samuel is sent there to deal with him and address this situation. And he says, this day, because of your disobedience, this day the kingdom is taken from you. And we know the rest of that story, how it plays out between Saul and David. But that's, that's the father trying to have compassion and saying, I can't let this go any longer. We're going to deal with this. We're going to address it. Now, thankfully, like I said, they can be success stories. They should be. They often are. And, and if we let them, they will be a success. When the Lord deals with you, intervenes in your life and says, I'm just trying as a father to show compassion by way of instruction, by way of correction. Think about Peter. He is the, one of the disciples following Jesus very closely. And so close, in fact, that he's not afraid to speak his mind directly to the man Jesus Christ when it is in, conf in conflict with what Jesus just said. Jesus tells his disciples, my life is going to be taken from me. And Peter steps up and says, Not so, Lord. Not on my watch. I am not going to let anything happen to you. I'm just going to, I'm going to be your protector. I'm going to be the one that, that, step, that steps up and, and decides. Now, in this context, Peter and Martha are not so different from each other. Because they're running in their mind thinking, what should I do? What do I need to do? What are the steps that I need to take? Martha's about the work, the serving. Peter is about the protecting. And, and never making sure that nothing out, ha, ever happens outside of his control. I will not let someone come in here and take your life. And the father, with compassion, looks at Peter and says, you're so cute when you get angry. <laughs> I, I know you think you have a plan and a way to stop this. I know you have a way in your own mind to prevent any hazard from happening to me. 
But you're fooling the devil and get behind me. Ooh. Oh, that's, that's a little harsh. Well, he could speak that way to Peter because this is one of his closest followers. But he says, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. If that's not a wake-up call. Now, if I was Peter, I'd, I'd be sitting there thinking, I haven't seen this guy be wrong a lot of times. I mean, usually when he says something, it's right. It happens. It comes to pass. But he just told me, I am going to deny him three times, not even once, three times by the time the morning comes. Man, I, I, if it was me, I'd just go to bed right then, put an end to that, keep myself out of trouble. <laughs> but Peter, because of the events that transpire, he gets his wake-up call, and I don't doubt by the time he hears the rooster in the morning, he remembers and he replays the words that Jesus spoke to him. And he can look back and say, oh, yeah, when I was over there and they asked me if I knew this man, and I said no. And when I was over here and they said, you're one of his followers, and I said no. Three times. And that's the wake-up call for Peter. Now, thankfully, this is the same Peter who is still a part of the work of the church that's taking place after the death of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, he's the one that stood up and said, Repent. Be baptized. He was a minister on that day. The Lord had intervened in his life. got a couple more but I'm going to skip down to this Matthew chapter 21 this is a Matthew 21 and 44 this is a principle Jesus is speaking the words that we're about to read here and he's talking to Pharisees about who he is and about his life who God has chosen him and created him to be. The principle that Jesus is sharing here, he's, a, he's addressing the unbelief and the doubt on behalf of the Pharisees. But the principle that he's sharing here applies to everything that we've just talked about. He says, Whosoever shall fall on this stone. What's the stone that he's talking about? He's talking about himself. Because in the verses preceding this, he had just told them, this is the stone that the builders rejected. That the Lord has made the chief cornerstone. I know we're not all contractors in here. We don't understand building and what that means to lay it out. But what Jesus says is, I am the chosen one. Uh, I am the one that the builders, you all, looked at and said, no, it could not be this one. There has to be another one. There has to be another way. There has to be another Messiah, another king, another messenger. He cannot be the one. That's not the voice of God in my life. That's not the plan of God for my life. The Lord would not, the Lord would not sneak up on me like that and present His plan for my life in such a way that I did not see it coming. Jesus is sitting there addressing them and telling them, I am the one. And he uses that, that terminology, the stone. And here in this verse he says, Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. The life of that individual, 
the plans, the wills, the, 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 the retirement plan, if you will, of that individual, when it's cast on me, it will be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it being the stone, the stone being Jesus, on whomsoever Jesus shall fall, it will grind him to powder. What I, why don't you stand with me? I'm getting ready to come to a close here. What I see when I visualize this passage, when I visualize what the Lord is telling the hearer of this, this is a chance for you an opportunity for you to cast your life on me. You know, if he had told Martha, Martha, all you have to do is cast your life your, all the caring that you're doing, all the worrying that you're doing, just cast it on me. We can deal with that. We can address that. Yes, there's a breaking involved. As I said before, there is a humility involved. But we can, we can work with that. But if you don't, if you don't cast yourself on me, then I am forced onto your situation. I have to intervene on your situation. If Eli, when Samuel had told him, your boys have not been obeying. If Eli had cast himself on the stone with humility, and gone before the Lord and said, you're right. And I need to change. I need a breaking. But he didn't. And the Lord says, I am forced to be the stone that falls on you. This is the invitation today to allow your life to fall upon the stone, to fall upon the rock. That's Jesus. Yeah, but it's going to break apart this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to tear apart that. I, I know I've seen enough of the Lord to know that he won't let this continue. This is the invitation today. Fall upon the rock and be broken. Why don't we pray? This altar is open. I, I encourage you. Find a place to pray and let the Lord deal with us today. I believe he's speaking into hearts today. He's speaking into our lives. He wants to bring compassion to you. He wants to bring love to you correction where it's needed but he'll do so in love the lord is loving he's our loving and heavenly father come on let's pray church will be what you call me to be these altars are open i encourage you find a place and let the lord work on your life
like I need to encourage you. I need to encourage you to spend time in the Word this week. 
this week. The scripture says, I want you to catch this. I'm going to go slow so you can catch this. The scripture says, the word of God is quick and powerful. Quick in the sense that as soon as it needs to be spoken, it is spoken. Quick, like that. That's what the word of God is. It's an attribute of his word. The only way that it can be quickened to you is if you know it. He's not going to just, he, he's not going to give you all the answers to the test when you don't study. But he will quicken his word to you at the time you need to hear it. It's quick and it's powerful. Bible says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. A sword with a sword on both sides. Sharper than that. Piercing to the dividing asunder. That means it cuts in half the soul and the spirit. We're still talking about the word of God. When it's quickened to you, it pierces and it divides. This is how powerful it is. To separate your soul and your spirit. And this is the word of God a discerner. It knows. A discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's quick, boom. It's powerful, boom. It knows you better than you know yourself. It can divide the soul and the spirit. It can teach you, show you, illuminate to you. And it knows. We pray, we pray often. We ought to. We ought to pray often. And I believe we do. But when we go to prayer sometimes, we don't even know. I just, I feel the presence of the Lord and I want to respond to that. And that's about the extent of my knowledge on the situation. But the word knows more than that. It knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. When you can't even verbalize, when you can't put into words your prayer, your, 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 your will, your emotion. My desire, my desire is to please the Lord, but I really don't even know exactly how to do that. Good. The word of God knows that your desire is to please him and it can quicken to you exactly what's needed. If I remain open to that and I say the thought and the intent of my heart is to please God. And, I, and if I say that and I'm honest, then his quickened word will come into my spirit and it will say, this is my word. This is my will for a situation. You said you want to please me. Here's what pleases me. It's in my word. Okay. That's easy. I can do that. I can follow that. Amen? Ushers, why don't you come? Let's prepare to give ourselves, given in, in the offering and the tithes today. Remember Tuesday night. For those of you that might have missed it, we played a preview of a video that we're going to show in completion on Tuesday night, this Tuesday at 7 o'clock. I am encouraging you, all who are able to be here, to view that. It's going to speak to us. This Saturday night, I'm asking two things from you. This Saturday night, 6 o'clock, we're going to have prayer here at the church for all of us who are able to be here. 
6 o'clock Saturday night. Tuesday at 7, Saturday at 6. Remember next Sunday. Next Sunday is March the 1st, isn't it? Next Sunday, we are going to have a combined service with the Sela congregation here. We're going to have a special visiting minister here. It's Brother Ray Woodson. He is the district superintendent of the state of Washington. And I encourage you to be here. I encourage you to be here early. As my wife said, you can save your seat. Most people, I can't speak for everyone, but most people that will be here next week will be respectful enough to not move your things if you set it on a seat. Most people. No, I encourage you, be here early for that next week. Tuesday night at what time? Saturday night at what time? Brother Manuel, why don't you pray for this offering? Go ahead after you've had a chance to give. 